Hey folks, welcome back to our ongoing live coverage of the trial of Kyle Rittenhouse. Kyle is charged with a variety of felonies, including first-degree murder for shooting three men, two fatally, as well as for alleged reckless conduct on the night of August 25th, 2020 in riot-torn Kenosha, Wisconsin. You can find our ongoing commentary and analysis of our coverage of this trial over at Legal Insurrection, at Law of Self-Defense, and on our Law of Self-Defense YouTube channel. You can also find our live streaming of today's court proceedings, as we do every day, as well as our live real-time commenting of courtroom testimony and argument as it occurs at LegalInsurrection.com. So yesterday's court proceedings ended while the parties were in the midst of a debate over the admissibility of a question posed by the defense during cross-examination of state's witness, Detective Martin Howard, the youthful appearing lead investigator on the Rittenhouse case. As we noted in yesterday's coverage of the trial, Assistant DA Binger seemed to get little value to the prosecution in his roughly two hours of direct examination of Detective Howard, seemingly using the detective mostly as a vehicle to get a great many spectator and social media videos of the night's events into evidence. It is notable that not one of the videos I observed, and I believe I observed them all, contained any substantive evidence inconsistent with Kyle's core legal defense of self-defense. The cross-examination of Detective Howard by defense attorney Mark Ridgitz, however, was much more substantive and productive for the defense and generated a great deal of testimony that reinforced Kyle's claim of self-defense key to defending against the homicide charges, as well as Kyle's reasonableness throughout the night, key to defending against the recklessness charges against him. Attorney Richards also elicited from Detective Howard considerable testimony about violated investigator practices and highly exceptional and apparently undisclosed treatment of certain state's witnesses, particularly Gage Grosskreutz, the only witness whose phone was not seized by police, on an apparent pretext initiated by Prosecutor Binger himself and despite the police having a search warrant in hand for the phone, and the only witness whose police interview was not recorded, which recording would have had to have been shared with the defense. Remarkably, it was apparently after one of those instances of unusual and undisclosed to the defense coordination between the district attorney's office and the youthful Detective Howard that the detective in his position less than two years, was that very night made the detective on this extraordinarily high-profile Rittenhouse case. In short, Attorney Richard's cross-examination of Detective Howard was certainly among the few highlights of an otherwise rather tedious day, where the state seemed to make no ground whatever in undermining Kyle's claim of self-defense, and the defense successfully had the jury exposed to ever more evidence consistent with Kyle's self-defense claim. And we're not done with the defense cross-examination yet, as it will continue this morning after it was interrupted at the close of trial proceedings yesterday. And that brings us back to the nature of that interruption. So Attorney Richards was in the process of questioning cross-examination of Detective Howard and essentially having Howard stepped through the key events of that night in more or less chronological order. They were now at the point where Kyle had just shot Rosenbaum in the car source parking lot and was beginning to flee towards the police line a couple of blocks down Sheridan Street to turn himself into police, you know, like people who murder with malice typically do. 
It was during this flight of safety down Sheridan Street towards the flashing lights of police vehicles that Kyle would be attacked by the mob generally and knocked to the street and there attacked specifically by jump kick man who Kyle fired at twice but missed by Anthony Huber who Kyle fired at once and hit fatally and Gage Grosskreutz who Kyle fired at once hitting him in the arm. The moment at which Kyle shot Grosskreutz, who was advancing on the fallen child with a Glock pistol in his hand, was not the first time the two had interacted, however. Kyle Rittenhouse and Gage Grosskreutz had also interacted earlier while Kyle was just beginning his flight to safety down Sheridan Street, nearer to the car source lot where Rosenbaum had launched his initial attack on Kyle. It was this earlier contact between Kyle and Gage Grosskreutz that attorney Richards was asking Detective Howard about when Prosecutor Binger raised an objection that triggered argument sufficient to justify ending the day at that late point in the afternoon. During this exchange, Grosskreutz runs right up to the fleeing Kyle, cell phone camera in Kyle's face, and asks, did you shoot that guy? The response that Kyle made in real life was words to the effect of, I had to, it was self-defense. It was that response from Kyle that attorney Richards was seeking to extract from Detective Howard on cross-examination when Prosecutor Binger objected, arguing that Richards' question seeking that answer calls for hearsay, an out-of-court statement offered for proof of the statement itself. Now, it should be further noted that although the state is permitted to offer out-of-court statements of the defendant in a criminal case as an exception to the hearsay rule, the defense generally is not. That said, there are a great many other exceptions to the hearsay rule, as well as other grounds for why an out-of-court statement ought to be admissible. And Attorney Richards made such an argument here, telling the judge that Kyle's response to Grosskreutz's question ought to be admitted under the doctrine of completeness, and also that the matter had already been either admitted into evidence or at least discussed before the jury earlier in the proceedings. Now, at this point, everyone's arguments and recollections about what had already been discussed became so ambiguous, and it was late enough in the afternoon that Judge Schroeder called the lid, to use a political term, and decided to finish arguing the matter out this morning. And that's where I expect things to pick up again this morning. So I've included in the text version of today's content the... Um, and I think I'll embed it as well in this content, the end of cross-examination uh, where the question was asked and objected to, and then the subsequent initial argument on that matter after the jury was dismissed from the courtroom yesterday afternoon. Each of those is only a couple of minutes long. Incidentally, at the end of that second video, there's also an issue raised by the prosecution seeking to dismiss one of the jurors for cause because of a joke the juror attempted to tell a bailiff. And the defense objects to that removal, so I expect that issue to be resolved this morning as well. So here's the first of those issues. This is the end of the cross-examination of Detective Howard by Attorney Richards, which was interrupted by Prosecutor Binger's objection. And here's the second of the two interviews where the parties are now arguing this issue in front of Judge Schroeder with the jury already dismissed from the courtroom. Now, on an entirely separate topic, I've been receiving lots of comments and communications from folks who express great concern that the defense is failing Kyle Rittenhouse because of a purported failure to make sufficient objections to the state's questioning of witnesses and presentation of video evidence. Uh, apparently, these concerns are being fostered by legal commentary and analysis being made about the case by others, uh, including other lawyers, 
who are covering the Rittenhouse trial on the internet, much as I'm doing myself. The first thing I should mention is that I don't get anything but the most incidental exposure to other commentary and analysis of trials I cover, at least while I'm covering them. Uh, Just doing what I do every day to cover a trial like this is already a 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. job. I don't have time to look at other people's commentary and analysis. That doesn't mean it's not necessarily good commentary and analysis, only that I wouldn't know personally. That said, it seems to me as if people are looking at the matter of objections in a hyper-technical sense, as if every possible thing that could be objected to should be objected to, period. And that's just not how things work in a real-world courtroom. Whether to object involves a great many factors, not all of them purely legal. And so there's always a balancing of those factors by any attorney presented with the technical option of making an objection. For example, not only is the decision to object invariably a balancing of some sort, many of the theoretical grounds for objecting are themselves a balancing. One of the most common complaints I'm hearing about this defense, for example, is that they're failing to object to evidence that is prejudicial. Okay, fine, but it's a criminal prosecution, folks. In every criminal prosecution ever, the state is admitting evidence that's prejudicial to the defendant, if by prejudicial we mean harmful. And the state is allowed to do that. It's their job. If they could only introduce evidence that was not harmful to the defendant, there'd be little point to prosecuting anybody. The real question, legally speaking, is not whether the evidence is prejudicial, but whether that negative prejudicial character of the evidence outweighs whatever positive character the evidence might have, such as relevance, for example. Evidence that is highly prejudicial and only modestly relevant is likely to be deemed inadmissible by a judge. But evidence that's highly relevant and only modestly prejudicial is likely admissible. That's the balancing in that context. But whether to object also requires a balancing of considerations outside of the technical. For one thing, many people may not understand that in the process of direct and cross-examination, it's not that each party gets to ask the witness whatever questions might pop into their pretty little heads. Rather, each successive stage of questioning can only properly address issues that were raised in a prior step. Imagine, for example, that on direct, the state asks a witness about issues A, B, and C, but not about issue D. That means that cross-examination by the defense is limited to only asking about issues A, B, and C. Because issue D was not asked about on direct, it cannot be asked about on cross. Now, imagine there are aspects of, say, issue C that are very, very important to the defense. They want to dig into issue C with a bayonet and gut it right in front of the jury on cross-examination. At the same time, there are some small facets of issue C where the evidence is arguably prejudicial or irrelevant or some other legitimate grounds for the defense to object to the prosecution introducing issue C on direct in the first place. Does the defense make a perfectly legitimate objection to issue C when the state tries to introduce it on direct, meaning, if the defense objection is successful, that issue C would be unavailable to the defense on cross-examination to attack? Or does the defense accept the modest hit of whatever facet of issue C is unfavorable so they can thoroughly eviscerate that issue on cross-examination in front of the jury? My personal inclination in those circumstances has been to take a pass on the objection on direct so that I can have substantive fun on cross. And I expect we're seeing quite a bit of that here, and we'll see more moving forward. Of course, it's possible that defense attorney Richards and Chirofacy are simply incompetent buffoons who have no idea what they're about and are simply flushing their defendant's case down the toilet because of their ignorance of how to raise objections. But that's not the way I'd bet, based on my observations of their performance to date. 
Okay, folks, that's all I have for you on this topic. Remember, you can access today's live stream video and my real-time commenting of today's court proceedings at LegalInsurrection.com. Remember, you carry a gun so you're hard to kill. Know the law so you're hard to convict. I'm attorney Andrew Branker for Law of Self-Defense.